Hello, this is Dr. Shiva. Welcome to our podcast, Get Educated or Be Enslaved. Episode 1308, air date September 1st, 2023. All right, good evening, everyone. It's Dr. Shiva. I durate a little bit after eight and wait for people to join. But um, many of you know that uh, there's a bumper sticker over there. You know, we're running for president. And I have uh, my good friend, Paul Clark, who I've been working with, and he's been very, very helpful in educating um, through these videos that we've been doing the public really about the fact that the Constitution is a living document. And specifically, uh, many of you know that um, I'm a naturalized citizen, and some people have uh, not understood that a naturalized citizen can indeed not only run for president, but also be president. Um, there's been this sort of this assumption. Uh, people refer to the um, the articles, um, you know, Article uh, Two, Section One, um, Clause Five, which basically says that only a natural-born citizen can be qualified to run for president. Uh, but the reality is that the Fourteenth Amendment, the Fifth Amendment, overrode those, abrogated that, and we've had to part of our campaign educate people. So we're going to go over some of that, and we're going to go over some of the nuances. But the key today is to educate people that the Constitution is a living document. We'll also up update people on the fact that uh, four or five states, we can actually start getting on the ballot and we have our ground team ready to put us on the ballot or start collecting signatures. So let me bring Paul here. Uh, Paul's up in, Paul, you're up in Alaska today, right? I'm in Alaska, yes. Yeah, so good, good to be here. Paul's on his boat up there. So we also have the audio coming from a different source so uh, we don't lose Paul's audio. A video may come in and out. So Paul, I think uh, you and I met because, what is it, several months ago, almost six months ago, I'd seen a, a very nice legal scholar article or legal review that you'd done, uh, making it very clear that it's unconstitutional uh, to prevent a naturalized citizen from uh, being president. So right. maybe Paul, we can just quickly review you know, the arguments that you made. And then I will discuss, you know, the fact that we filed a declaratory relief lawsuit against um, the Attorney General Merrick Garland and uh, Thompson, who's from the Election Commission, um, basically to assert we want the courts to uh, ensure that the Attorney General um, informs all the secretaries of state, educates them and make sure that they don't prevent us from getting on the ballot, you know. Because it did, right. because the constitutional is there, but perhaps Paul, you can take a couple of minutes, you know, maybe 10, 15 minutes, and and really discuss the paper that you originally wrote. Because our lawsuit not only argues the fifth and the fourteenth, but we also argue the fact that that the first amendment allows me to run, and then also the concept of the political process. But maybe you can talk about your paper originally, Paul. And then we can go through the three points that we've asserted in our lawsuit. Okay, sure. Be happy to do that. One thing, maybe before we get into the Fifth Amendment, we should start with the First Amendment, which, by the way, was originally the Third Amendment. The first two were never approved. Many people about that. Oh, what were the what were the first two, Paul? Just said it. The 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 one of them was that the pay increase in Congress should not take effect until a new election, which became later the 29th. That was actually the Second Amendment. Then the First Amendment was some of the procedural thing, but I never remembered. Never, never passed. But anyway, Madison actually had 12 amendments, and the first two were never approved. 
But anyway, that's a that's an obscure procedural point. But it is confusing to people because they think, what's well, the first because it's the most important. Well, I mean, and maybe it's the most important, maybe it isn't. That's, of course, a matter of, you know, we could argue about that. But it was not the first because it's the first. It's only the first because the one and two weren't approved and number three ended up as one and four became two and so forth. But in any event, okay. again, I don't want to go off on a long tangent. It's a minor, minor point. Um, but I was saying, I think we should maybe start with the First Amendment because one of the things you mentioned, I think maybe you, you just maybe you misspoke a little bit. The First Amendment says anyone can run for president. What Article 2 says is that only a natural-born citizen can be president. Now, even what that means, of course, we'll get into in a bit. Even that is, is a little bit confusing, and we don't exactly know why it's in there. But in any event, the point is the First Amendment, the free speech clause of the federal Constitution, guarantees anyone the right to run for president, the constitutional right to run for president. And in fact, we've had we've had historical cases of this back in the 19th century. Uh, women ran for president, and nobody said anything about it. They said, "Well, well," they said, "Well, of course, you know, you can't serve as president." Now, again, why they couldn't serve is is another question because there's nothing the Constitution explicitly says that, other than when, when they talk about the president as a he and him, uh, and, and the founders seem to. But in any event, the point is the First Amendment clearly, and I don't think this is even really disputed. The First Amendment allows even a person who ultimately might not be able to be president to run for president. In other words, a 30-year-old could run for president as a First Amendment right to go out and campaign, make his or her case. So the right to run for president is a, it, it, it is very, very strong. So there's, I don't think anyone would seriously dispute that you have a right to run for president. Yes, yeah, so, so Paul, right. let, let, me, let me just, so our, as our audience comes in, so the first point is, Anyone can run for president, any U.S. citizen, right? No, you're a non-citizen. Okay. So, yeah. So once... Um, a green card holder. I mean, not any legal, I presume, but a, a green card holder. A permanent resident, right? But, yeah, I'm running for president. Right. Now, now, I don't think that person could serve, but again, that's... Uh, now, again, it is what happens. I mean, that's kind of getting down the road because, frankly, let's say a green card holder runs and is elected. And they go to Congress and say, Congress, I want you to pass a law granting me citizenship so I can immediately become president. Congress could do that. Right. But the, I, but, the, but, the, but the most important, the point you're making is if you just take the First Amendment by itself, anyone, a 14-year-old, a 10-year-old, a anyone can run for president, a U.S. citizen and or a green card holder, period. And that's the right to free speech, political speech, right? Correct. Okay. So, so that's... You, Right. You what you want, and you say I'm running for president, and I and blah blah blah, and that's a First Amendment right. So right. there's no question, you know. Again, you can run for president. Now, some of the states, as you know, again we'll get into this, have suggested maybe if you can't be president, then you can't be on the ballot. But even that seems to be a small minority. It looks to me like, from what I've seen, most of the states have taken the view that well, you can run, run all you want. Whether you can also be, that's a different issue, but they're not going to stop someone from, from running. So that, that's, that's been the dominant view. So in and our, I and I, so I think in our lawsuit, we've asserted that. We said, I have the right to run for president, period, because of the First Amendment. The second thing I think we also said is we referred to the 2011 ruling where the FEC also said a naturalized citizen can run for president and can, in fact, collect donations. 
but the right. issue is they could not get presidential matching funds. So there, that's in some ways there, an opinion has already been given by the FEC on a naturalized citizen being able to run. Yep. Okay. The, the FEC has ruled an official ruling that a, a anyone can run for president, even if they're not quote unquote eligible. And right. I think in that they said we don't take it. We don't. We, we that's not our purview to decide whether the person could actually be president. You know, we're not we're not crossing that bridge. We're just saying anyone that wants to run can run. For so it. that's again that that's a given. And so I think we should be clear about that. Nobody can tell you you can't run for president. Right. That's your first. Okay, so if, I mean, if we can we can move on maybe to the to the uh, to the equal protection clause in the Fifth Amendment. So, what happened, of course, was, uh, and again, we go back to the original Constitution. Article Two says a, a to be a president, the person must be a natural born citizen. Now, we don't even exactly know what that means, frankly, because. Yeah, the Constitutional Convention, when they put this together, they, they they had a secretary who was supposed to take notes. He took very few notes. He basically just took notes on on votes. He didn't he didn't write down the arguments of things. He just he just there was a vote on a motion, a motion carry motion. The person who we look to historically has been James Madison. So James Madison's notes on the convention. Madison took very detailed notes, but not always. Because he was not the, he was, Madison was not the official secretary. He was kind of the unofficial secretary. So Madison took notes about a lot of things. Sometimes he didn't. Sometimes he didn't take notes. And one of the sort of gaps that we have, and, and there are actually quite a few, but there are a lot of different parts of the Constitution, but we don't know why they're there, frankly. So we don't even know why. Article two says the president must be a natural born citizen. So, Paul, I, I, I did a little bit of research and I don't know if, you know, uh, apparently there's all this background law in British common law, you know, going back to the 12th century about the concept of just soli and just sanguine. You know, in in I guess in Britain and Europe, they had the concept of just soli, meaning soil someone born of the soil and someone born of the bloodline. And it looks like no one was able to track that directly to the constitution, but there was sort of in the ether, these concepts of, uh, you know, just sort of in the, in the understanding that one had to be born in the soil, you know, or of a certain blood. But again, but they may coming from sort of that environment of London and, 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 and that ancestry, right. Or that, uh, it may have been sort of in the ether of thought, you know, but no one just yeah, it, it, right. It may have been, but again, we just don't know because we don't have the debates. If that's something, so again, it, that's a guess. So it's an educated guess, it's speculation. Yeah, where did this come come? Does it come from the the, the use of solar? So it was they call it use of what you know, I U S or J U S, which law sometimes is right. So the law of the soil, the law of the blood. Um, that may be a background. Again, we just don't know. Right. We, we don't exactly know what it's supposed to mean, frankly. I mean, we do know, for instance, that maybe the Marquis de Lafayette was granted natural-born citizen status. He was granted status as a natural-born citizen. And his heirs. Uh, and all of his heirs. And his heirs. Yeah. For, <laughs> I mean, for in, yeah. Yeah. So, again, the, the whole idea of what exactly is a natural born citizen is not entirely clear. It's not defined in the Constitution. 
again, there's some there's some common law antecedents, but they're not directly directly parallel. Mm-hmm. And it's assumed that this meant you had to be born because again, the Constitution Article Two says a, a, a natural born citizen or a citizen at the time of the adoption of the Constitution. So again, that seems to suggest that um, you had to be born here after the after the adoption of the Constitution. But again, we don't we don't entirely know. So, so that one of my points is, I mean, if the Marquis de Lafayette can be granted status as a natural born citizen, I assume Congress could grant anyone status as a natural born citizen. Again, under Article One, uh, Section Eight, Congress has authority to set the the, the the standards for naturalization and citizenship. And I assume that, if I think it's pretty clear, Congress has very broad authority under the citizenship clause. The Supreme Court has said this repeatedly. Congress can make, and now again, we get start to get into the Fifth Amendment, because the Fifth Amendment, I think, does place limitation. But uh, go back 100 years, the Supreme Court has said Congress can make anybody who wants a citizen or deny citizenship to anyone who wants. Remember, for many years, uh, non-whites were not citizens, and that was based on the Citizenship Act, going all the way back to the 18th century. So, and the so, Supreme so, so, Paul, so bottom line is natural born citizen is not defined. I think the Maryland legislature is the one who declared him yes. a, a natural born citizen and all of his heirs. Um, right. We don't have all the arguments and the debates on why they put, quote unquote, natural born in. Um, so that's in the articles. And now let's go to the Fifth Amendment. Right. You wanted to talk about right. that. Can you explain right. what the Fifth Amendment is so everyone understands? Yeah. Yeah. Just before, you know, let me let me let me make my, my final point, which is if a naturalized citizen would be like the president. I would fully anticipate that Congress would simply pass the law saying Dr. Shiva is a natural born citizen. I think Congress could do that, and I think they should do that, frankly, and, and probably would do that, uh, just, so, just so there's no ambiguity. In mm-hmm. other words, Congress could say, you, you Dr. Shiva, are hereby a naturalized, a natural born citizen and able to serve as president. That yeah, so be- Paul, as you're talking, we have a, a guy who sort of doesn't understand the Constitution, and he probably should yeah. listen very carefully. He's saying... Second generation is natural born citizen. Parents must be citizens in order to have a natural born citizen, period. It's not hard. No, so, that's not, that's definitely not true. Yeah, exactly. They, they, right. So after the 14th, now again, that's, that may have been true in the 18th century, but the 14th Amendment says anyone born in the United States is a citizen thereof. So a, a child who is a, born to non-citizens in the United States, say you have two green card holders who are, the, who are the parents, and they have a child. That child is a U.S. citizen, both parents are not. So after the 14th Amendment, that is true. Now, prior to the 14th Amendment, that would have been correct, because prior to the 14th Amendment, if you had two non-citizens who lived in the United States and they had a child, that child was not a citizen. Again, it goes back to this, this use uh, of the right of blood. So citizenship passed down by blood. So you had to have at least one parent as a citizen. And then the child of, of, of again, one or both parents were a citizen. The child would be a citizen. Yeah, so, so Paul, again, 14th, so just to make it very clear, prior to the 14th Amendment, if I was born in India and my wife was born in Japan, and we had a child here in the United States on, and we were, and then we uh, we come to the United States, we become naturalized citizens, but we're not born here. And if we had no, a child, 
you weren't eligible to be a citizen in the 19th century. Oh, okay. okay. Japanese Indians could not be U.S. citizens in the 19th century. Oh, Don't forget. Oh, okay, okay. 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 So the 19th. Okay, but anyway, in the 19th century, prior to the 14th Amendment, if I yeah. came here, and my wife is from, uh, also not born here, and we have a child, that child does not get U.S. citizenship de facto, right? If the, if if neither parent was a citizen right. prior to the 14th Amendment, the child would not be a citizen either. Right. And but right. Na- but after the 14th Amendment, again, if I wasn't born here and my wife wasn't born here. I have a child here. That child is of the soil. That child gets de facto U.S. citizenship. Well, the the short answer is yes. Mm-hmm. However, again, it's a more complicated point. Yeah. Because during the debates on the ratification of the Fourteenth Amendment, this question came up, and and uh, some opponents said, "Well, wait a minute." You can't possibly mean to tell me if an illegal alien slips across the border and has a baby, that baby's your citizen. And the proponents said, of course we don't mean that. We mean if you're here legally and you have a child. So uh-huh. that, that was the unanimous. I think it was Representative Bingham. Representative Bingham was the principal author of the 14th Amendment. I think he explicitly said, no, of course not. We're only talking about if the parents are here legally. So if you're non-citizens, but you're here legally, and you have a child, uh, the proponents of the 14th Amendment said that child would be a citizen. Now, the 14th Amendment does not say that. And again, this is where we get into the interpretation of the 5th Amendment and the 14th Amendment. The 14th Amendment simply said anyone born in the United States is a citizen thereof. That seems to be quite clear, even though the proponents said, no, what we mean is anyone who is the parents are here legally and, and, and is born, then you're a citizen. We don't mean, that, again, that every proponent of the 14th Amendment said, of course, we're not saying illegal aliens have children, the children are citizens. Absolutely, positively not. No question about it. Now, of course, today they do. Because what has happened is people have said, look, if you meant that, then put it in the amendment. So the 14th Amendment should have said, even though they, they said this is what they meant, but the 14th Amendment does not say anyone born of legal parents in the United States becomes a citizen. It simply says anyone born. Right. And so, 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 so we so, just accepted that blanket rule, even though that's not what the framework Right. So, the so after the 14th Amendment, because it's, if you take the literal words, anyone born here on U.S. soil becomes a U.S. citizen, whether the parents were legal aliens or illegal aliens or anything, even though you're saying at the time they drafted it in the debates and the notes, it was clear they never meant someone just coming, crossing over the border, coming here, having a baby and leaving or, or just, yeah. yeah. So, but, but since they didn't put it in the verbiage of the 14th amendment, taking the verbiage, anyone who comes here has a child on U.S. soil becomes a U.S. citizen. That, that is how it has been interpreted for many years now. But again, that could change. Yeah. Um, because again, if you actually go back to debates, you can you can say, well, wait a minute, that's just not what it meant. So, but again, this gets back to our point of constitutional interpretation. You you, you talked about the Constitution as a living document. Yeah. Now that that term sometimes has some baggage attached to it, and you know I don't know if necessarily want to use that term because and again, you're pigeonholing and putting things in a, in a pigeonhole doesn't always help clarify. Sometimes it's more confusing. Someone might hear that term and think, oh, I know what you're talking about. But the point is. 
the Constitution, like any document, has to be interpreted. And again, this 14th Amendment we've been talking about is just one example. You have the text of the, of the of the Constitution. And then someone can ask, well, what does that mean? What does it mean, anyone born in the United States as a citizen thereof? And that's when we get into this question of interpretation. Interpretations vary over time. Interpretation, sometimes uh, the court will interpret a thing one way for decades. And then realize, wait a minute, we've been wrong all this time. There's, there's a famous case, Erie versus Tompkins, 1938, which uh, essentially abolished the common law. So, so there was an American common law for 100 years, like the English common law. The courts just created it out of thin air. And they did it for 100 years. And in 1938, the court said, there is no common law in America. They said all this common law is gone. They threw it all out the window. Because they said, we don't have authority to create common law. The courts had just decided they thought common law was a good idea. They thought the English common law was a great thing. And the Americans should, should follow it. And the courts just created it. And after a century of American common law, the court said, we were wrong the whole time. Get rid of it. We had no authority to do it. So again, the point is, interpreting the Constitution is a difficult task. And so, so Paul, it, so yeah. uh, we have a, a troll, sort of a troll on here. He's saying, not correct. The Constitution and the Bill of Rights were written at about a sixth grade comprehension level due to that being the average education level in the country at the time. So well, this individual okay. is, you know, falsely asserting that all of that stuff doesn't matter. You just read it literally and the context doesn't matter. But the point is that the Constitution has gone through. It's when I meant to say it's a living document, it, it, it has changed and it evolves. Right. And things not the Constitution, but the interpretation, the light it's put in changes based on other considerations that take place. And what you're saying is we had common law. And one day the court said there is no common law. But let's I, I think I think that's an example. You want me to respond to that? The average American was very well educated in the 19th, 20th century. You know, Alex de Tocqueville, when he came to the United States in the 1830s, he, he spoke of how impressed he was by the education of the Americans. So I, I disagree that the average American only had a sixth grade education. I mean, it may be true that they only, you know, the average maybe was sixth grade or something. But again, they were well educated. They could read and write. They were they were a lot better educated than most people do. And also, again, to, to, to respond, some of the, the, the great constitutional commentaries um, were written of very, very scholarly folks. Uh, there, was, there was a gentleman, his first name was St. George. St. George Tucker, you name your child St. George, that's your first name. That was his, literally his first name. St. George Tucker was a professor of law. And a, and a justice of the highest court of Virginia. They didn't, I think they called it something, they called it, they didn't call it Supreme Court. But anyway, they essentially Supreme Court justice in Virginia, a professor of law. I think he taught at William and Mary, he was a professor of law. And I think it was 1802, 1803, he wrote a commentary on the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. Very, very scholarly, five volume commentary. Uh, and he later was appointed to, to the federal court as well. But anyway, the St. George Tucker, very, uh, brilliant jurist, a scholar, a legal scholar. And again, he felt, you know, I'm, so I'm not making this up. So here was one of the most brilliant legal scholars in American history in 1802, 1803. He felt it was necessary and appropriate 
to write a five volume commentary on the so again so whoever was saying this you know google st george tucker and look at look at you can find yeah so so, so paul let, let's so look the bottom line is this um this individual represents the ignorance that's out there uh of american history and the and the, and the conditions of the time the bottom line is these people were not dumb the average education level was pretty probably I would argue probably in some ways probably even better than we have today if you look at the way people wrote and talked at the time um yes. but i think the bottom line is we had the articles natural born was never clearly defined um let's just sort of focus and we've talked about the first amendment anyone can run let's talk about the fifth and 14th amendment paul so if you can describe okay. what is a fifth amendment to people and then what is a 14th amendment paul go ahead Okay, so the Fifth Amendment, again, one of the original parts of the Bill of so-called Bill of Rights, says that the federal government may not deprive any person of life, liberty, or process without uh, due process. Life, liberty, or property, life, liberty, or property without due process. That's the Fifth Amendment. Now, the Fifth Amendment doesn't explicitly say anything about equality or equal protection. That's all the Fifth Amendment says, and for over 100 years that's how it was interpreted paul just to sorry sorry to interrupt i just want to make sure because we have different people levels of people on the stream here when we say due process that means the right to for example be if you if you have some crime that someone claimed that you com uh, committed right due process in the courts and how that's all adjudicated right but it, and it but also means more broadly when we talk about due process, right? Yes. Yeah, so due process means different things in different contexts. So, for instance, in a criminal case, due process involves you, you, the state must prove every element of a criminal offense beyond a reasonable doubt unanimously to a jury of at least twelve people in a in, in a felony. It could be six in this, but anyway, it has to be unanimous. So that's a due process for a felon. Now there's also a Sixth Amendment and the right to counsel, but anyway, but but that's due process for criminal. In in a uh, a case where the state is trying to take their children away, which is actually a modern thing, they never did this in the 19th century ever. Any state ever took their parents' children away, but anyway, but but just to, to, to fill it in, due process in the context of the child native deed proceeding means the state must prove that the parent is negligent or abusive by clear and convincing evidence mm -hmm. so the fifth, in, so, so the fifth amendment basically ensures that any person gets due process and that due process varies from the kind of condition the case and all those kind of things but it didn't exactly. talk about equal protection so they're trying to take your property away again there's there's certain process they have to right. give you right but there's a higher standard for taking your children away and there's an even higher standard if they're taking your right. liberty away. And again, the point is there's 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 specific there's, processes. It involves things like the right to cross-examine witnesses, right. the right to find your own defense, and so forth. So there's a whole bunch of different things. But, but, the, but the bottom line is you have the right to a due process. That process can vary from situations, but whatever that process is, you have the right to that process in a particular situation. But it didn't talk about equal protection, right? Right. The Fifth Amendment not explicitly mentioning equal protection. It yeah. simply says the government cannot take away, the federal government cannot take away right. life, liberty, or property without the process. Okay, so that's the Fifth Amendment. So, again, fast forward 150 years. 
So what what year was the Fifth Amendment passed, Paul? That was 1787. It would well no. The Constitution was was ratified seventeen eighty well eighty eight technically. Yep. Um. Uh, the the first Congress goes into session seventeen eighty nine. Madison writes and Congress approves uh, twelve amendments, which are sent to the states, and uh, ten of them are ratified by I believe seventeen eight eight eighteen hundred eighteen one. I that, but it was within a year or two. So it's okay. sorry, not, 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 not yeah. So it's probably I think it was ninety one. Seventeen ninety one. Eighty nine they're ratified, they're sent to the states, it takes about a year. And by ninety, I think I think the requisite two three fourths of the legislature approved it by ninety. I think officially it was ninety one when all the states approved it. it comes back to Congress and Congress says we accept that they've been so I think I think ninety one is the year that's generally given. So again, you could quibble with 1991, but any of that. So, so 1791, the first 10 amendments uh, are ratified and go into it. Mm -hmm. So, uh, in, in uh, 1868, after the end of the Civil War, the uh, 14th Amendment is ratified. Now, there's a whole, whole controversy involving this because there's all kinds of funny business that was going on um about but i, I want to get into it because we'll get into a long tangent but we just we just assume for the sake of argument that the 14th amendment was properly passed and properly ratified so, 100, so 150 years later right um, 170 years later yeah 170 years later the 14th amendment comes into being right right great right. so the 14th amendment says no state shall deprive any person of life liberty or property without due process of law. The exact same words you find in the Fifth Amendment. Now, the Fourteenth Amendment also says, nor shall any state deny any person equal protection of the laws. So that's where we get the equal protection uh, doctrine. Now, again, when, when the Fourteenth Amendment was originally passed and ratified way back in, in 1868, the <laughs> The, I, the understanding of equal protection was not absolute equality. So again, go back to we were talking about the, the ratification debates, which are very interesting, by the way. They're all available online. Some of them but for instance, another thing we talked about the, the, the citizens, people being born here. One of the other things that came up, people would say, well, wait a minute. When you have this equal protection document, are you trying to say that states cannot discriminate against men and women, they must treat men and women equally. And again, all the, the, the framers said, no, of course not, that's not what we mean. That's not what we mean by equal protection. It doesn't mean you have to treat men and women equally. It means if a murderer shoots a man, shoots a woman, that murderer would be punished for, for murder, whether he shot a man or a woman. That would be equal protection. It doesn't mean equality. It doesn't mean you have to treat men and women equally. Now, again, that was true for racial classifications as well to some extent. So if a murderer killed a black man or killed a white man, the murderer had to be punished the same way. But it, it was not understood, the 14th Amendment was not understood to mean that blacks and whites had to be treated equally in every respect. And again, and I'm talking about the original understanding of the 14th Amendment. And for, for decades, that was the case. In fact, you, may, you we all have heard of 
uh, segregation. So the segregation in lots of cities around the country, it wasn't just in the South, it was in, in Boston and in Chicago and all kinds of places had segregated cities. Uh, Washington, D.C., the Capitol building was a segregated building. So in any event, um, but this was considered to be acceptable under the 14th Amendment because, again, the understanding was equal protection does not mean equality of treatment. It simply means we, the criminal laws will protect everyone, but it doesn't mean any, it basically much more than Now. No, so, Paul, hold on, hold on one second. Hold on one second. Okay. 14th Amendment, by the way, gets passed when 1880, was it? Um, well, again, I, I think it's officially, there's sort of two dates, because again, this gets into this question of how was it ratified? Yeah, yeah, so, so people are saying, was it ratified or not, right? Um, and I don't want I, I don't want to get it because that's yeah, a whole other. Yeah, but, but, but it, it was it because if you put 150 years from 1787, they would put it at 19 something. I don't think you mean 150 years, right? No, I think I was saying it was about a, it was uh, about 150 years between the Bill of Rights and the 14th Amendment. So the, so the Bill of Rights is, is adopted in 1791. Right. Um, so no, not years. So it's about 70, yes, about 70 years. 70 years, yeah, just, just to correct. It's around 70 years, yeah, right? I, I, I'm pretty right. I think in my book, I think I said 100. Yeah. Yeah, it's about 70 years. Yeah, so, okay, se so 70 years later, the 14th Amendment comes after the Civil War. We're not going to get today into the ratification issue. Right. That's a whole and, 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 and that's a whole nother discussion. We can do a whole discussion of that. But bottom line is there was segregation that was taking place. The 14th yes. Amendment didn't eliminate segregation. Right. Correct. It basically uh, uh, not for, not until uh, 1954. Right. Right. When we for get into some years. Right. Right. But, but I just want to I just want to just just get, I want to keep it simple here for people. The the 14th Amendment was after the Civil War. There's still segregation going on, right? It doesn't eliminate every state in the union has segregation. Yeah, every so you, you still had uh, blacks have to drink water from this faucet, whites have to drink here. The Fourteenth Amendment does not eliminate that. It basically Correct. says that you get e the equal protection of due process at the state level. That's what it says, right? Correct. Okay. So due process was at the federal level with the Fifth Amendment, and it said that. Every citizen at the state level will also get due process um, the same way the Fifth Amendment said, period. That's it. But it doesn't say we're eliminating um, blacks and whites are equal, right? Well, right. Now, neither the Fifth Amendment nor the Fourteenth Amendment yeah. originally was understood to say that. Right. So, but the, so the point was the Fourteenth Amendment from, from 1870 to, uh, to 1954. Right. Understood to allow segregation and things like that. And again, this has been repeated. I think there was something like seven or eight Supreme Court cases where the Supreme Court said segregation does not violate the the, the, the fourth. They repeatedly said that. Now there was a there was an abrupt about face in nineteen fifty four. But but Paul, again, let me let me just emphasize that so up until nineteen fifty four, even after the passage of the fourteenth amendment, the many Supreme Court multiple Supreme Court rulings upheld the fact that you could segregate, you could discriminate, right? Correct. Okay. Correct. It's very important to understand until 1954. So what happened in 1954? So in 1954, there were two companion cases that were that were decided. And one was on the Fifth Amendment and one was on the 14th Amendment. And 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 they're both very, very famous cases. One of them, I'm sure all your your 
listeners have heard of, which come called Brown versus Board of Education of Topeka, Kansas. So Brown versus Board of Education of Topeka, Kansas said the 14th Amendment guarantees equality between the races, not just equal protection, but equality among or between the races. Therefore, states may no longer, as they have done for the last, you know, basically 150 years or, or at least 90 years since the uh, since the ratification or, or 80 years, whatever it is, states may no longer discriminate on the basis of of race. So, so Brown versus Board of Education for Kansas said definitively, the 14th Amendment does not permit discrimination on the basis of race. Right. So again, the 14th Amendment explicitly didn't state it because it allowed segregation, meaning, yeah. meaning people, it did not disallow segregation to be specific. So between the point the 14th Amendment was passed in 1954, Supreme Court rulings were saying, yeah, you can segregate, it's okay, but Brown versus Board of Education, Topeka, Kansas, 1954, explicitly ruled that it's unconstitutional, right? To right. segregate right. between the races, period. Right. And again, this is when we come back to this idea that the interpretation of the Constitution clearly changes over time. Sometimes they flip 180 degrees, as in this case. Right. So, so basically, at that point, when we say the Constitution is a quote unquote a living document, right? The interpretation by the Supreme Court in that case now basically says the 14th Amendment is not just about equal protection uh, at the state level. It also means the equal that you cannot discriminate uh, between the races. It's like a different, uh, I guess, uh, Def, or different uh, interpretation of what equality really means. It's not just due process, but equality of races. Right. It's a okay. different interpretation of what the phrase equal protection means. Equal protection means, right. So equal protection was there. They reinterpret to mean equal protection across races. Well, no, they, they well, well, again, it depends what you mean by equal protection. But prior to 1954, equal protection did not mean equality. Mm -hmm. It meant Again, things like criminal laws. If, if you stole from a white man or you stole from a black man, the people get punished the same way. That was what equal protection meant. It did not mean equality. Now, it, again, so equal protection now is understood to mean equality. So equal protection, even though for, for, for really for centuries, in fact, in fact, they didn't make up the city of equal protection, right? For centuries uh, in the English common law, American law, equal protection did not mean equality. Now it does. Since 1954, it does. They said equal protection, we believe, means that states cannot discriminate against uh, people on the basis of race. And right. again, not that people do that. And now, now this means so they say, no, they say, well, in order to get equal protection, we have to have equality. You can't have equal protection as it's always been understood if we have in, in, in equal. So that was Brown versus so, Board of Education. That was Brown interprets the 14th Amendment to mean that 14th Amendment means equal, equal, equal protection means equality of the races. Correct. Okay, got it. Just just the races. We get It would be decades before we brought in men and women. That okay, was a whole got other, it. All right. Whole other we can maybe talk about later. But in any event, okay, so I said there's two cases in 1954. They're handed down the same day. Wow. One was Brown versus Board of Education, Topeka, Kansas. The other one was Bowling versus Sharp. Yes, Bowling versus Sharp. Yep. Okay, so Bowling versus Sharp, I mentioned before, the District of Columbia 
was racially segregated. Now, remember, the Fifth Amendment applies to the federal government. The Fourteenth Amendment applies to the states, right? So the Fourteenth Amendment says no state shall deny any person equal protection of the laws. The, the Fifth Amendment applies only to the federal government, not the state. Now, the District of Columbia is under the Congress, is under the federal government. So the Fifth Amendment applies to, 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 the, to the District of Columbia. The Fourteenth Amendment applies to the state. The District of Columbia had segregated schools also. And Boeing versus Sharp, the Supreme Court says, no, we're not going to allow that in the District of Columbia either. Now, again, this gets into the interpretation of the amendment. So the Fifth Amendment doesn't say anything about equal protection so we've already in 14th amendment we've said that we've gone from equal protection to equality right well we don't even have equal 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 protection in the fifth amendment what we have in the fifth amendment is uh no person shall be denied life liberty or property without the process of law the same phrase we find in the 14th amendment so in 1954 the Supreme Court in Bowling versus Sharp says, well, since we have this language in the 14th Amendment and it talks about equal protection, we believe the Fifth Amendment implicitly guarantees equal protection. And just as we said uh, 10 minutes ago when we decided uh, board, uh, Brown versus Board, you can't have real equal protection if you don't have equality as well. So therefore, in 1954, the Supreme Court read equal protection and equality into the Fifth Amendment. Which is at the federal level. The key things now this goes to the federal level, right? This is only the federal level. The Fifth right. Amendment is only the federal level. The 14th right. is only the state level. Right. But again, the point is, the, 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 in Bowling versus Sharp, they said, we will treat equal protection and equality under the Fifth Amendment and the Fourteenth, as identical, they were up straight, very up straightforward on this. They said, "We admit the Fifth Amendment says nothing whatsoever about equality, but nonetheless, we think it would be unacceptable to allow the federal government to discriminate uh, on the basis of race." So basically, Paul, what happens is if if I can, and there may be some nuances here, but at a the Fifth Amendment after Bowling versus Sharp and the Fourteenth Amendment in some ways become equivalent. One is at the federal level and one is at the state level. So you get equal protection clause now um, coming into the uh, Fifth Amendment and the fact of what uh, that, e that equal protection means equality. So now you have the concept of equality of races at the federal level and at the state level. So basically right. the Fifth and the Fourteenth become almost, uh, I think a lot of people just to review need to understand that we're as a republic, right? Every state has, you know, in some sense, its own jurisdiction, right? But the fifth and the 14th, basically, so when it comes to equality and equal protection, we're gonna give it at the federal level and at the state level. That's what these, that's what 19, that's what emerges out of 1954. Correct. Okay. And they're interpreted exactly the same. Right. So now you it's come to, difference. so after those two rulings, a, Racially, you cannot discriminate between a black and a white person or brown and a yellow person at the federal level or at the state level. Correct. Neither a state nor the federal government. Right. Yeah, they someone just said 14th Amendment applies to the fifth. That's really what it meant with Bowling versus Sharp. Well, it's 
again, the exact terminology is a little bit odd. Sometimes it's called reverse incorporation. Reverse incorporation. So, I say. Uh, so in other words, what, what we often talk about is the first ten amendments are incorporated into the fourteenth. Right. Right. So that's by so so again, the fourteenth amendment applies to the states. The first amendment applies to the federal government, not the state. First mm-hmm. Amendment starts. Congress shall not, right? Right. First Amendment applies to the federal government, does not apply to the states. But Congress said, and there's a famous case, Gitlow versus uh, New York in 1923, the Supreme Court said the first the, 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 the guarantees of liberty in the 14th Amendment implicitly contain the right to free speech. Right. So, so this is very so Paul, I think this is very important what you just brought up. If you just look at the First Amendment in and unto itself. It only applies at the federal level. That means states could have <laughs> suppression of free speech, right? However, that court sure. ru- the court ruling that you just said um, clarified that and said, no, the First Amendment applies to the states, right? I wouldn't even say clarified it. They did 180 degree revert. I say like just, just two years earlier in 1921, I forget the case, but just two years earlier. In 1921, the Supreme Court said, the First Amendment does not apply to the states. Get over it, guys. Really? Two years later, they really? changed their mind. You know what? Yes. Okay, yeah. so, so that's so in, so up until 1921, the Supreme Court was saying the First Amendment only applies at the federal level, not to the states. So well, that, that's still true. The First Amendment only applies to the federal government. The Fourteenth Amendment now contains a free speech component, which is identical. To the first time. Uh huh. That's what they said in Gitlow in 1923. I say. So, does that mean, Paul, that up until 1921, if I want to pass out a flyer, right, uh, in a federal building, I can do that, right? Well, <laughs> I think what you're asking is the First Amendment applies to the federal building, yes. Could you pass out a flyer? That's a little, that may be more technical, but. But yes, the, the First Amendment said Congress cannot restrict speech, and that was also understood to apply to the president and even the courts. Right, right. Again, it was to, 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 to the federal government, right? Right, but uh, after... But the thing, not, remember, almost, in fact, I think maybe every state had a free speech clause in its state constitution. It right. wasn't like there was no free right, speech. Right, right, I mean, exactly. So, but but what I'm saying is, after 1921, it explicitly said... The First Amendment applies to the states. In nineteen twenty-three, it's called Gitlow versus New York. It's Got a it. Game. All right. They, Supreme Court said First Amendment now, or the free speech now applies to this, not freedom of religion. That was another case that came later. Again, they did this, you know, in, in stages. They right. did different rights, right. freedom, and the Fourth. But again, to get back to the main point we've been trying to make, none of this is in the Fourteenth Amendment. None of it's in the Constitution. Right. These are all developments and interpretations. Right. And that's, I think that's the key thing. So, so those people joining us, uh, Paul Clark and I are having a discussion. You know, we, we, uh, you know, I titled this a constitution as a quote unquote, a living document. The point is the constitution, the amendments, there's a verbiage that's stated there, but in practice, as things move forward, as interpretations take place by the courts, they give meaning to these things. And the meanings can come, sometimes you just just shared your Paul can be 180 degrees opposite, right? You can start with something where the 14th Amendment um, was fine with segregation, right? And then after 1954, segregation now becomes illegal, not because the 14th Amendment said it, 
because there was uh, Supreme Court rulings, right? And then they interpret these amendments. So that's, I think that's a key takeaway for everyone listening that don't think everything's written in stone. The constitutions and the interpretation of that itself can move in different directions. And that's really the takeaway. All right, Paul, I, th I think, I think, I think that what you just shared with the 14th Amendment and then how it gets reinterpreted, the Fifth Amendment um, now has uh, the Equal Protection Clause. Equality is now brought at the federal level with bowling as, uh, versus sharp, right? That's pretty cool. So now yes. let's talk, let's now, uh, and, and I know you had this in your legal paper. Now let's sort of in, connect the dots with how the naturalized citizen and natural born citizen becomes equated because there were various Supreme Court, various ru rulings, right? Because that wasn't, in, in 1954, that wasn't even there up until, that was never really discussed. Implicitly it was, because again, remember what, what Bowling versus Sharp says, is that discrimination on the basis of race or national origin is unconstitutional. And again, remember, it's not just race, it's also national origin. Yes, yeah, so a discrimination. So that's in the 14th Amendment, discrimination by race or national origin. That means if you're well, from... again, not explicitly, but <laughs> in the ratification debates on the 14th Amendment, everyone knew, and this goes way, way back, everybody knew what they were really aiming at was race and national origin. Because again, remember, Chinese, Japanese, Indians could not be citizens prior to the 14th Amendment. They were mm -hmm. not permitted. There, mm -hmm. there was a, there was a congressional passed law that said it was limited to white people. So if so I if I came here in 1953, I could not be a citizen. Well, you could in 1953, not not in 18. That's right, 1853. Prior to the 14th Amendment, anyone coming here could not be a citizen. Right. Okay. You could you you could be here. You could work here. I mean, lots of like Chinese. There were Chinese right. who worked here for but, years. But then Chinese. But after the Fourteenth Amendment, it said that you cannot discriminate by national origin. So now it becomes, in some ways, not right. only so, implicit but yeah. explicit that hey, if you are of Chinese origin, you could become a citizen of the United States after the Fourteenth yes. Amendment. Okay. So, so after the Fourteenth Amendment is passed. Uh, Congress, or states, I should say, I mean, again, Congress later, but yeah. states cannot discriminate on the basis of race or national origin. And again, everybody knew it's not explicitly in the 14th Amendment. But when they passed the 14th Amendment, they said, this is what we're talking about, right? They say, you're talking about women. No, we're not men. We're not talking about women. You can discriminate against women all you want. We don't care about women. I don't know if we care, but that wasn't <laughs> the purpose of the 14th Amendment. They didn't care about women, right? Right. But they said, what we're doing here, when we're saying... When we Congress passed the 14th Amendment and say that, you know, no person shall be denied equal protection of the laws and no be denied life, liberty, and property, and so forth, we're not talking about women. We're talking about race and national origin. So two we things. Want... Right. Yeah. So two now, things. That was, the, that was the, the focus of the 14th Amendment. Got it. They did not want people coming over from Africa and being denied citizenship or coming over, which had happened, of course, because Got Africans it. are brought over and, and Chinese are brought over. They were denied citizenship. Got it. And Congress passed the 14th Amendment. So that, that was the core of the 14th Amendment. Got it. Race and national origin. Now, again, right. it's been extended to sex and some other things, but those, that was the core. So when they decide Boeing versus Sharp, they're saying the Fifth Amendment says you can't discriminate on the basis of race or national origin. Well, what's going on de facto 
when someone becomes a naturalized citizen because they were born overseas, you can't discriminate against those people because you're de facto discriminating on the basis of national origin. Right. And that's exactly what the 14th Amendment was designed to prohibit. Now, if the Fifth Amendment is identical to the 14th Amendment, then it's a no-brainer. Obviously, the Fifth Amendment also will protect against uh, a discrimination on the basis of national origin, which means you can't discriminate against between citizens on the basis of whether they were born here or not born. Mm -hmm. And then a, a, a few years later, uh, the, the Supreme Court explicitly said this. They said it quite explicitly that it is unconstitutional to discriminate between citizens on the basis of whether they were born in the United States or not born in the United States. All citizens are equal. Again, the equality, the point of the Fifth Amendment. And, the and what case was that, Paul? That was, uh, I think it's, is it, sorry, I'm having a mental block. Um, but, okay, while you're thinking about that, but. Uh, it's in my article, but I have a mental block, and I usually remember the cases. But the, um, the, the bottom line is, after the 14th Amendment, anyone can become citizen. And then after 1954, you have the, the Fifth Amendment, uh, sorry, the Due Process Clause, Includes equal protection and equality at the federal level. You have the, you have the, uh, which is extended from the Fourteenth Amendment, and then this court ruling takes place, which you don't remember the court ruling. But the bottom line is that court ruling asserts now you cannot distinguish. It's illegal. It's unconstitutional to discriminate between whether you became a citizen born here or whether you became a citizen by being naturalized. Right. Neither the states nor the federal government may discriminate against citizens based right. on where they were. Right. That, so you're, that, apply, you're applying the fifth and the fourteenth amendment, the state and the federal. So that's pretty much that's it. You cannot distinguish between a naturalized citizen and someone, quote unquote, born here who became a citizen. Any any more than you could discriminate on the basis of race or you know now sex, which is again a later thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, some, someone just wrote, they will never let you become president. Yeah, they will never let me become president because probably my... That may be true, but that's for other reasons. <laughs> yeah, probably for my political views. <laughs> They'll cheat my life. But fundamentally, they cannot do this because the 14... Uh, based on the... As, as history has evolved, given these court cases, it is unconstitutional to distinguish between a naturalized citizen and someone born here, period. That's pretty much it, isn't it, Paul? Yeah, and, and again, the amendments amend the Constitution. Mm -hmm. So prior to the First Amendment being passed, you know, Congress could have passed, presumably Congress could have passed certain laws prohibiting speech because there was no First Amendment. Well, you passed the First Amendment, and that's off the table. First Amendment uh, takes certain things off the table. And the same thing happens with Fifth Amendment. The unamended Article 2 says that essentially the government can discriminate on the basis of, of national origin. Right. And discriminate, and it says Article 2, if you're not a, a again, a natural born citizen, as it said, whatever that means. But assuming it means you have to be born. It, the Second Amendment, assuming this is the Article 2, seems to say the government may discriminate on the basis of naturalized status. But the Fifth Amendment says you can't do that. So obviously, if if you have an amendment to the Constitution which says one thing, and and it amends and it changes the earlier Constitution, obviously that, that it changes it. I mean, that, that I mean, this is so obvious. It's, it's you don't really need to 
Uh, right. I don't think it's so. I, I right? think I think I think the bottom line, Paul, is this: given where we are at today in 2023 and the events that have taken place with the Supreme Court ruling, it's obvious, it's black and white that you cannot discriminate between a naturalized citizen and someone born here who becomes a citizen. Therefore, it's unconstitutional, A, by the First Amendment to stop me from running for president, and B, by what we just discussed with the 14th Amendment and the Fifth Amendment, to not allow me to be president, saying that you're naturalized. That's absolutely discriminatory, right? Period. It would be just as if someone tried to say a woman couldn't run for president. Right. Or, or a Catholic couldn't run. Right. And the 19th Amendment did that, right? Yeah. Right. You can't discriminate on the basis of, of race, national origin, religion. That's that's the First Amendment. The um, uh, uh, gender, which is arguably the 19th Amendment. Although, again, the 19th Amendment doesn't explicitly say this. But prior to the 19th Amendment, everyone assumed a woman could not be president. Uh, largely because everybody just assumed. I mean, you go back and look at the framers when they, when, they, when they created the United States. Everybody knew the president would always be a man. That was, you know, and it says he he shall do this or he plays the hero. So, in any event, the Nineteenth Amendment is now understood to have changed that, although it doesn't say so explicitly. There's nothing in the Nineteenth Amendment that says open to do It's just an assumption. But again, right. the point is, thing, things have certainly changed. Uh, you know, in in eighteen hundred, it would be unthinkable that a woman would be president. That a uh, you know a non-Christian would be president. That a non-white person would be president. Those things would have been unthinkable in eight and probably been illegal. Right, Paul. Let, let, let's but just take a quick. Paul, let's just take a quick four-minute break because, given what you just shared, you know, uh, there's a lot of comments. Everyone is very positive of my running for president. Right, um, people are excited about it. Um, the bottom line, Paul, is from what you've shared uh, and what the Constitution says, and all the rulings that have taken place. It's unconstitutional to, uh, on the First Amendment grounds, to stop me from running, but on the Fourteenth Amendment and the Fifth Amendment, um, to stop me from being president. Period. Um, and right now, just to let everyone know, you know, we're running for president, and we have a bumper sticker here, and we recommend everyone go to shivaforpresident.com to get one of these bumper stickers. The reason these bumper stickers are powerful, Paul, we tell people is, you know, you put it on the back windshield of your car, a hundred thousand people see them. So even if they try to, with all the social media censorship taking place, we tell people to get on the ground. That's one thing. The second thing is, I just want to play a quick video, Paul, because it sort of enumerates my background. You know, um, at a very, uh, you know, I think I've shared with you, India has a caste system, which still exists. In the Indian caste system actually says, if you're from this caste, you're, you know, they, 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 it's, it's a governmental caste system. And frankly, Paul, you won't find a lot of Indians like me here. You know, we come from the lowest caste in India. And what's been interesting over the last two months, if you notice, is um, we have we have been finding that the establishment uh, politicians are actually in total disruption right now because of our my election, because of what we're doing, because we've been exposing Kennedy, we've been exposing Trump. So they went and found an Indian guy to run, right? They had to go find a brown guy, you know? And We've had to expose the real background on this guy. You know, he was for vaccine mandates and and he's from the Brahmin caste, by the way, Paul. Okay. Um, so it's fascinating. So let me just play this video because it gives people, we'll come back and we'll wrap up. But hold on one second, Paul. Who would have ever thought I'd be running for president of the United States of America? 
I was born a low-caste untouchable in India's caste system, a system of aristocracy, oppression, and racism. My name is Dr. Shiva Ayadure. I'm an MIT PhD, a Fulbright scholar, a scientist, engineer, entrepreneur, and inventor. My family and I left India to come to America on my seventh birthday. I grew up in the working-class neighborhoods of New Jersey, playing baseball, mowing lawns, painting houses, and coding software. My friends and neighbors are blacks, Italians, Irish, people of all races. As a 14-year-old, I wrote 50,000 lines of software code to create the world's first email system and was awarded the first U.S. copyright for email, recognizing me as its official inventor at a time when copyright was the only way to protect software inventions. I did that long before I ever came to MIT, revealing that big innovations can occur anytime, anyplace, by anybody. Growing up, I saw politicians dividing us by race and religion in both America and India to have us fighting each other while they remained safe in their gated communities and in their playgrounds of Hollywood, Martha's Vineyard, and Silicon Valley. I'm a fighter. I fought racism and exposed their imperialist wars, fought for workers, and put my life on the line against global corruption. I never wanted to run for political office. All that changed when I saw working Americans as never before being duped by the establishment and the not-so-obvious establishment. Across left and right, we were being sold out and made to forget why we came to America and why America existed. Lawyers, academics, billionaires, celebrities and politicians, elites, Clintons, Kennedys, Bidens, Obamas, Bushes, black and white have hijacked America. They printed trillions for their friends. They delivered crumbling infrastructure, corruption and racism. They transferred trillions to themselves, dividing black and white, fear-mongering and fake science. Lockdowns and censorship, dirty air, food and water, pushing drugs upon us, making us sicker. We've been sold out. One set of rules for them and another for us. We deserve a warrior with a history of courage in putting everything on the line for you, who believes in you, not them, who has created a movement bottoms up for truth, freedom, health. I've exposed their lies at the right time, never waiting until it was popular. I've exposed their false gods who exist to lead you back to them. I've exposed their fake science of lockdowns and masking and provided you solutions to fight them and win and protect your immune system, saving millions. I exposed Fauci, galvanized the fire Fauci campaign when others remained silent. When they stole our election, we sued the government and Twitter in our historic 2020 federal lawsuit, exposing in bare view the government and big tech censorship infrastructure, the unholy alliance between government and social media companies. Where was Elon and his grifters? They stood by the sidelines and did nothing. They did not use their megaphones to help us when it could have made a big difference. Now our movement grows for truth, freedom, health, independent of all of them. Every day millions are learning the science of systems, the knowledge the elites do not want you to have, so you may learn how to think, stand up, and fight, independent of the establishment of left and right and their fake heroes. Now it's time for you to join the movement to win back America, to win back truth, win back freedom, win back your health. That's why I'm running for President of the United States. This race is about you. This race is about truth, freedom, health versus power, profit, control. We've had enough. They think we'll fall in line and vote again for their lawyers, celebrities, billionaires, and chosen ones from above. We choose our heroes from below, from the rank and file who do what is right at the right time, not when it's convenient and popular. They can never represent us. What America needs is a movement by the working people for the working people who are educated, organized, decentralized, and fight for independence from their systems of control. And that movement exists. It's ready for you. We don't need them. We need us to go bottoms up, neighbor to neighbor. My journey, your journey, are all the same. It's our time. It's time we had one of us. It's time to win back truth, freedom, health. 
to win back America, be part of this historic movement, all the way to our victory on November 5th, 2024. If you're an American citizen, pledge your vote now for Dr. Shivaya Duray, the independent candidate for U.S. President. No matter where you live, you can be a part of this. Volunteer as little as 20 minutes a day. Don't delay. This is Dr. Shivaya Duray, and I approve this message. Paid for by Dr. Shiva for President. So just to let everyone know, every Thursdays, Paul, you're invited uh, at 11 a.m. and 8 p.m. We do these open houses. We have hundreds of people show um, up and we do these one-on-ones with people, one-on-manys. Um, people can go to vashiva.com slash orientation to sign up for the open house. For the town halls, you can go to shivaforpresident.com slash town hall. So please do that. It's, a, it's an incredible opportunity. The other thing is become a Truth, Freedom, and Health Warrior Scholar. Go to Truth, Freedom, Health because you really understand these principles. Paul, someone had an interesting question and it's probably a, yeah. um, uh, they, uh, so someone said, uh, hold on, let me bring this up. Um, uh, it, was a, it was a technical question, here we go. You can see it here, he says, how did the 14th Amendment explicitly amend section one of article two? Um, and I well, think- it, Yeah, it wasn't explicit, but I mean- Nothing is explicit though. The, well, very, we just, very rarely, I yeah. mean, uh, there's only one or two. I think there's only one that I know of. There, there was, I think it was the 21st Amendment explicitly said the 18th Amendment is hereby repealed. I think that's the only explicit uh, thing there is. But say the 11th Amendment. The 11th Amendment uh, overturned, basically overturned a Supreme Court case. So there was, a, again, this is this is a long, maybe too long in the side. But, but just as an example, I can tell you more about the 11th Amendment. The 11th Amendment uh, says... Uh, the judicial power of the United States shall not be construed to extend to any suit in law and equity commenced or prosecuted against one of the United States by citizens or subjects of another state. What does that mean? What it meant was you can't sue a state in federal court. Does it say that explicitly? Well, no, because again, you have to understand why they passed it. Because it was a Supreme Court case called Chisholm versus Georgia, where the Supreme Court had said that an individual could sue a state in federal court and the people didn't like that and they passed the 11th amendment the 11th amendment does not explicitly say you can't sue a state in federal court but that that's what it means so, yeah so so paul if you take what you do i think another example would be the 14th amendment doesn't explicitly say you cannot segregate right to your point no, and, and again for 100 years yes so so, so so i think it's a good example that one's even more explicit in this context. Up until 1954, uh, people, uh, even though the 14th Amendment existed, you could discriminate. You could have black people having to use bathrooms which were for blacks only, right? Even though there was this thing called the Equal Protection Clause. But right. it was all only- the, all, the 14th, it was, all the 14th Amendment explicitly says there's no state can deny any person equal protection of the law. Right, but it was after the 1954 those two court rulings, especially the first one, Brown versus Board of Education in Kansas, then it said equal protection means equality. So to, to the person who asked this question, it's a very good question, but I think this is why, you know, I call that the constitution is a quote unquote, a living document, is that, yeah, they wrote down stuff. And then when it goes into the real world um, and the engineering gets done, you know, you have to uh, fight things out, right? then what emerges is 
um, an understanding of what the 14th Amendment is at this time. And, and I think, Paul, I think the other point is this thing could change tomorrow, right? Tomorrow, we could do something completely different, right? Well, that's always a possibility, although I, I don't see Brown versus Board of Bullying. Yes, yes, but, but, what the, but I think in, 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 the, in, in, in the context, meaning that you have these amendments, you have the articles, the articles, um, uh, what, an amendment we have today can override what was meant before, but then there's also this whole body of rulings, Supreme, you know, Supreme Court rulings, court rulings, which really interpret and give a different frame to what was written, right? In the amendments right. themselves. Again, I, I think it's important to, to recognize, by the way, I seem to have lost the, the video. Oh, no, maybe I'm back. Yeah. Back. Um, you know, some cases are more, you know, sturdy and enduring than others. I, I don't think there's any question. I, I don't think there's any chance that the Supreme Court would overrule Bowling versus Sharp or Brown versus Board. Those, mm -hmm. those have become so established and they're so subtle that I again I, I just I, I just can't imagine it happening. Right. So um by the way, it seems like you kicked me off. It says I'm backstage. Let so me bring you back on. Yep, there you are. Yeah, and I don't know what happened. I got yeah, I got kicked. Yeah, so you need to okay. do that oh, thing, no, no, Paul. No, no, no. We need to turn off the gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. So so again, again, you, you, you're right. Anything could change. I mean, tomorrow the Supreme Court could, could you know, they could all wake up and they could decide to reverse anything they want. But, but as a, realistically, realistically, there are certain, there are certain precedents, precedents that are so, that are so well, well established, established and, and so, so much a part of the American, of the American tradition at this point. point. And, and, you know, this idea of equal protection and inequality is certainly one of them. But again, we can argue about it. We can go back and we can dispute whether it's a good idea, a bad idea, whether it's justified or unjustified. But I, I, I don't see that happen. Yeah. I don't see this. Yeah, yeah, no, no. I no, Paul, I didn't mean to say you know, you go backward, but the point is that you have these verbiage that's written in the amendments, and events take place through court cases and those things. And sometimes, even though the 14th Amendment never said that you explicitly you cannot discriminate between race of people, the court rulings 1954 gave teeth or they gave substance. To equal protection clause. Equal protection clause started to mean equality, right? Of people, of races, right? And, and that's the point. And that's really, I think, what we want to leave our viewers with tonight. Um, and that is why we're absolutely clear on this fact that, yes, not only can I run for president, but I can also be president. And to let everyone know as we close out, um, you know, we are getting on the ballot um, in every state. And by the way, some people think that only I have to get on the ballot. No, no, no. Everyone's got to get on the ballot, right? Which means any candidate running, every state has different rules. And listen very carefully. The state of Massachusetts says you have to collect 10,000 signatures to get your name on the ballot. The state of Vermont says you have to collect 1,000 signatures. The state of Washington, Paul, is interesting. You have to collect 1,000 signatures, but the signatures have to be can only be collected at a convention, at one physical place, okay? So every state has these different rules of what you have to do to get on the ballot, right? right? And um, so we are right now as running for, and by the way, every presidential candidate has to go through that process, not just me. So, um, so people should not confuse, oh, you're not on, no one's on the ballot right now. Everyone's got to do that process to get on the ballot. 
but we have filed a declaratory lawsuit in federal court suing Merrick Garland, asking the courts to direct Merrick Garland, who's the Attorney General of the United States, to proactively tell all the secretaries of state, hey, just to remind you, the discussion we just had here, Paul, is a constitution clearly allows me to run for president and don't get in my way, right? Period. Well, I, I mean, again, everything is debatable, but no, in, in my opinion, I think you're right. I, I, I think that the precedent is very clear at this point. Right. All right, Paul. The sun is moving. I don't know if you can see me that well because the sun's been moving up. It's yeah, it's, it's okay, Paul. We, the most important thing is we have your voice, which is coming through my phone, and um, everything's good so everyone can hear you. Uh, what you find with these streams is audio is more important than video. Uh, sure. So you have to choose between audio and video. We got the audio. So, Paul, I think that was good. I think um, the framework that you gave going back to the articles, um, going back to the First Amendment, right? Um, the the different rulings in 1921. I think that was a very interesting thing. You said that the First Amendment only applied at the federal level after 1921, was explicitly well, said. Uh, at the state level. At the state level, yeah. 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 So. Yeah, right, get, that, that then said that the First Amendment also applies to the states. Right. Well, again, that's speech pedantic, but it said the 14th Amendment includes the right to free speech. Right. Oh, OK. Got it. Got it. So then it went to the states. Got it. Right. So New York already had a free speech clause, but yeah. the U.S. free speech was more protective in certain ways. Yeah. Congress, or the, uh, the, um, and the, the Supreme Court decided to apply it against the state of New York. So, so, Paul, before we sign off, is there anything you want to say to our audience, you know, we have a lot of people who are, uh, we have, you know, thousands of volunteers now getting on the ground uh, to get us on the ballot in each state. It's it's a pretty Herculean thing. I mean, yeah. we're doing something quite interesting, right? As a naturalized citizen, I'm running. We've also created a movement. Uh, we know that these people cheat in their elections from what happened in 2020, my own Senate election. Um, so we've alerted people to that. But most importantly, Paul, we're educating people, we're mobilizing people to actually be more active citizens. And I think that we win whatever happens. So that's what's exciting about what we're doing. I don't know if you want to see any final. All I can tell, tell everyone is keep up the good fight, keep fighting. You know, uh, never surrender. It's yeah. Perfect. All right, Paul. Yeah, but I'm over time, so I get, I actually am running late. So, uh, yeah, thank you, Paul. Thank you for your time. I know it's uh, yeah. it's 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 almost what six nineteen, but thank you, Paul. Have a good weekend. Have have a good Labor okay, Day. Very good. Okay. okay. Good night, Be well. Thank you. Okay, All right, everyone. So that was um, uh, Paul Clark, who's a legal scholar, and he's um, also a professor, um, but and he also practices law. But just in closing, we wanted to do this. Uh, this is like the third video Paul and I have done. Uh, we want to educate people. You know. Um, Right now, the way you guys can help is go to shivaforpresident.com, get one of these bumper stickers and put it proudly on your back windshield. 100,000 people will see it. Go to shivaforpresident.com, donate. And when you donate, I can't take your money for nothing. I give you all sorts of really, really good gifts on books and courses so you can actually become a truth, freedom, and health warrior scholar. You can understand the dynamics of how... Um, the system dynamics of how they try to split us into left or right and how we actually mobilize a movement, right? 
the movement is for truth, freedom, health, right? It's not just for truth. It's not just for freedom. It's not just for health. The most important thing to also recognize is share this video, get it out there, right? Because there's so much censorship that takes place, particularly on Twitter and Facebook and these guys, because these guys do not want one of us, someone like me coming bottoms up. So it's really pertinent about you guys to go offline. The future is offline. Go to shivaforpresident.com. You'll see a very, very nice link there. And I'll uh, share it with you right now. If you go to shivaforpresident.com, let me share it right on the screen here. You will see there's a, uh, this is a website, by the way, donate, right? Volunteer. You can go right here and click the volunteer button. Um, tomorrow morning, we have our volunteers meeting. So um, join us, you know, um, but you can go here and there's a little thing called free downloads. If you click right on downloads, it's got this great flyer. It says a lesser of two evils is killing your children. Um, print this out, black or white, whatever you want, and hand it out to as many people as you want. Because the bottom line is both wings of the establishment are literally killing your children because the life expectancy in the United States is going downward over the last 60 years. Your child will um, right now have a lower lifespan than you. So this is caused by the policies of the swarm, which is, and you can see this video here, it's a great video. I invite you to come to our town halls. So in closing, you know, get educated or be enslaved. Again, go volunteer, come to our town halls every Thursdays at 11 a.m. or 8 p.m. Go to vashiva.com slash orientation and, and you'll meet amazing people from all over the world. Anyway, everyone, be the light, be well, have a great Labor Day um, and uh, volunteer. Go get your bumper sticker, something simple you can do and you can become an activist just by putting that on there. Thank you, everyone.